Let us now open the Bible in the New Testament to read from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 11 and the heading for our sermon this morning is Life by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled, controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. This is the reading from the word of God. May the Lord give us understanding and wisdom to hear the gospel and to respond to it. <clears throat> My dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, last time we uh, listened to the word of God as I preached it to you, we Look at John chapter 3 where the Lord spoke to Nicodemus and he said to them that we must be born again. 
we we looked at the fact that that is not a, uh, a command. It is it is a purely a statement that the Lord says, if we if we're not born again, we will not be able to see the kingdom of God uh, physically at the day of the. Uh, of the resurrection, we will not see the kingdom of God, but also spiritually we'll be blind to the kingdom of God and the things of the kingdom. Therefore, we need that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we are born again or born from above, born of the Spirit. Our spiritual blindness is the result of our sinful nature. We are all born in sin and carry this spiritual blindness with us, unable to see or understand the things of God. Even if, like in the case of uh, the Pharisee Nicodemus, we do things according to what we may define as good, these good things are not things of the kingdom. They might be kingdom-like, but they are not the things that would please God. It is only the good work which results from the heart made alive by the Spirit of God that would please God. Now, when we look at Romans chapter 8, we ask ourselves if we then talk about life in the Spirit, this first section of the, the, the uh, chapter, life in the Spirit. What does the Spirit of God do? There is, unfortunately, within the Reformed churches of which we are part, and in Reformed theology, sometimes this idea that there is no room for the work of the Holy Spirit. Because of the uh, misconceptions and all of the things that happens within the Pentecostal movement, calling themselves people led by the Spirit, we understand that that is not according to what the Bible says, and therefore we sometimes think that the work of the Holy Spirit is not really part of salvation, which is, of course, very, very wrong. There is... No Christian life without the work of the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit, first of all, applies to us the work of redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, therefore, is to us that bridge that takes the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that happened there to make that a reality in our life by changing our hearts and our minds and our nature so that we can understand these things and we can accept that. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is not something one gets as a second installment on your salvation as you grow. One could say that the Holy Spirit is the very first thing you get Because without the work of the Holy Spirit, one cannot be called a Christian. You cannot act as a child of God. 
In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul writes this. So by the way, uh, it is good to understand that what happens between and the, 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 the uh, part of the Bible between Romans chapter 7, verse 6 and Romans 8, uh, Romans 8 verse 1, that, that actually flows together and there's a section in between in which the, the apostle then elaborates on what he was talking about then. But he picks up the theme again from chapter 7 verse 6 into 8 verse 1. He says in, in 7 verse 6, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way written by uh, of the written code. And therefore, therefore, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It seems to me, if we read this correctly, there are two laws that the Spirit sets us free from. The first law is this, that we are all living under the law of our sinful nature. That's how we're born. We don't have a choice. That's how we're born. It's, it's the, the Bible refers to, to this as the flesh. Yeah, of this nature, the Bible then states, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. That is in verse 5. Look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It follows in verse 8. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is what we're born with. In other words, our being is corrupt. And we are not capable by nature of doing the things of God. There, this is one part of the law that Paul refers to in verse 2. The law of sin and death. And the Bible is full of witness about this law at work within us. It is something that all of us are born with. Can I just take you to two other things that happened in the past? And they were given names for us to, to remember them by. There was a fellow called Pelagius. Now he lived in the 5th century. And the uh, uh, thing that he did wrong in the end was, is now known as Pelagianism. Okay, Pela You don't need to remember this. But it will help if you want to do some reading somewhere along the line. Pelagius. Now what did Pelagius do wrong? Pelagius said that the sinful of the sins of Adam and Eve were the sins of Adam and Eve. It did not affect those born after Adam and Eve. And therefore he says we are basically born innocent with a free will to choose between good and evil. And therefore, we have the will to be sinful, or we have the will not to be sinful. 
Now, this, this is more or less the line that the humanists and the liberalists of our day are taking to. And they say that man is by nature good. And therefore, the only thing we need to do is do good. Two problems here. You have to teach people to do good. The other thing is, what's the definition of good? If we don't live according to the word of God and we don't have the word of God, everyone can have a definition of what is good. So Hitler thought it was a good thing to get rid of all the Jews. Because if Hitler was, did not have the Bible, then he could have his own standard of what is good. So Pelagianism is wrong. The Bible says all of us are sinful. All of us are born in sin. No one seeks the Lord. So let us apply that to our lives today and say that each one of us here today, this morning, in this church, were born in sin. It might come as a surprise. Maybe you, you know this. You've known this all your life. Which is a good thing because salvation starts at the point when we realize that we're lost. Then, there was another fellow. His name was Arminius. Now, Arminius was a Dutchman. And of course, you can guess from now on what Arminius stood for is now known as Arminianism. Like Pelagius, and what he stood for became known as Pelagianism. And now Armenianism. Now Armenianism is coming to the churches today and it is coming to reform theology today to the point where most, most Christians today would not know the difference between biblical theology as the Bible states to us and Armenianism. Now I'll read to you if you promise to be very di diligent and attentive what it says. And then I'm going to ask you what's wrong with it. Okay? Are you, are you awake? Are you with me? Okay. According to Arminius, Christ died for all people, but God's will can be frustrated and thwarted by man, and God's grace can be resisted by man's free will. This is because it is left to each person to ultimately decide whether he wishes to be saved or not. Therefore, in order to go to heaven, each person must choose to accept Jesus Christ before he dies. All those who die without choosing Christ will be judged by God and cast into hell where they will be tortured forever. Is there something wrong in this statement? What's wrong? Who said that? Apart from Faye, the others. That's good. It's good. Good that you picked that up. It, it, what is wrong in this statement, what is not wrong is that there is such a thing as hell. And what is not wrong in the statement is that we need to be saved. 
The point is, how are we saved? Am I saved purely because I think it's a good thing to worship Jesus? Am I saved because I want to escape hell? One day? No. And we'll see how this works out. And unfortunately, Armenianism is coming to the churches today at a rate that it is, Im, it is Im, uh, Im, uh, impossible to see that even with... As a matter of fact, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking about all sorts of things now. As a matter of fact, go and weigh up all the new choruses that are sung these days within the church. And maybe not all of them, but... Uh, quite a big amount of them. And you'll see they based on Armenianism. Fact of the matter is, the Bible says in three verses, as we read in these, uh, this morning, that our sinful nature, the way we're born, we cannot make a choice. We cannot. It's just impossible. Although we might be looking good when we do good things, we're still not doing God's things. The relationship between Pelagianism, which denies the sinful nature of man, and Armenianism is this. Both of them believe that we have a free will. Now, how on earth can you have a free will when you're dead in your sins. Can a corpse decide to be not as dead as completely dead? The Bible is clear this morning. Not only the sinful nature rules us like a law, making us incapable of doing God's will, but even the man who does the law of God by, and then reject the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ cannot still please God. The law then here then is the second law, which is the law of the, of the sacrificial law. That law that says that if you do these things and you try to be good, you'll go to heaven. From this law, we need to be saved too. And how is that done? And that takes us to the whole thing that smashes Pelagianism and Armenianism. Go with me to the Bible there. Verse 3 of chapter 8. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. Who did this? God did that. How did he do that? In Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ come and do for us? He did what we couldn't do, and that is to live according to the law. But he also took the condemnation of the law upon himself and he took that away. So he freed us from the curse of sin and he freed us from the sinful nature as such. 
Why? Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Now who's the us? Everyone? Who do not live. Us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. So what does the Spirit of God do then? We can sum it up. We can say the Spirit of God takes then what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us to become our righteousness. He gives us a new birth so that we would be able to understand what Jesus did. And now he applies that in our life and he gives us a new nature. That is the gospel we preach. We do not preach, and the Bible does not proclaim a do-it-yourself, do-good-and-hope-for-the-best gospel. Because apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ, there is no gospel, and there is no hope. So the Spirit gives us a new nature. And this takes us then back to the message of John chapter 3 as we looked at it last time. We must be born again. Without a new godly heavenly nature, we cannot see the kingdom of God. This is what Nicodemus had to learn from Jesus. The Spirit of God gives us the new nature and he teaches us. To live as children of God. He takes the heart of stone away and replaces that with the heart of flesh. And this is essentially what was promised in Jeremiah in this verse, the verses we read this morning. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, within them, and I will write it on their hearts. It's, it's, a, new, it's a new way of life. It's a new nature. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's what the Lord promised and that was, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that is what is applied by the Holy Spirit. And therefore the Holy Spirit then binds us to Christ. Listen again to verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You see, the Spirit then, as, as the Bible, as we will get to it later then, in, in, in John chapter 16, the Spirit does not have his own agenda. The Spirit just applies what Christ has done in our hearts. According to Romans chapter 5, verse six, uh, uh, 7, verse 5 and 6, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to which, to which held us captive, so that we serve a new way, in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. You see, it's like day and night. It is old and the new. 
Through the work of the Spirit, the salvation of Jesus Christ now becomes ours as the Spirit imparts in us the new nature and the new righteousness of Christ. Because that is what Jesus said in John chapter 16. This is what he promised. He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is what the Spirit does. But the Spirit guarantees to us eternal life. Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you in your mortal bodies through the Spirit of life uh, who dwells in you life. That is the great thing. Not only spiritually are we made new, are we born again. But the Spirit says, because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and because God raised the Lord Jesus bodily from the dead, you know what will happen? Although you die now, and although we are put six foot under, there will be a day that we will be made alive as new people. Now, I can't declare to you exactly how that will happen. But if God could make, make man out of dust in the first instance, surely he can do that in the second instance too. And now his work will be complete. I'm looking forward to the day that wonderful day of the Lord. You just imagine, you don't want to have a walking stick then. It's true. You don't have glasses then. We will all hear well. We'll all see well. You're looking forward to such a day? It's true. What does the Holy Spirit do? He, that's exactly what he does. He binds us to Jesus so that when Jesus, because Jesus rose from the dead, he will take us to one day when it's time and when the trumpet, calls come, trumpet call comes, he will do that to us. What does it mean for us now? You can say, oh, well, that's, that's all nice and beautiful. What now? First of all, and I'm going to skip over these things quite quickly now. Those who live according to the Spirit must set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, the the, the, there's a contrast. First, a sinful nature doing everything to gratify that sinful nature is now changed into a new nature 
to do the things of Christ. And what was first of all done in the old nature and being paid for by death, because the wages of sin is death, should be quite the opposite near. It's a new control. If you, if you look at, at verses 9 to 11, it, the, the word control there comes out every now and then. Therefore, we have to live according to this new nature in us. In other words, we could say we need to become more of what we already are. And if that sounds impossible to you, can I just give you an example? It might be possible that one of us here this morning would have their names written in a will of someone who has a lot of money somewhere. So according to that will, we might be very rich. The point is, we don't know it yet, but that is a fact. And when that will is one day read, we become what we already are. And that's what the Bible says. You are rich in Christ. You are rich in the graces of the Lord. The only difference is this. You don't need to wait till then. You have to start now wait, uh, in living for the glory of God. Then the second thing. To set the mind on the Spirit is to have life and peace. Look at the contrast. First of all, there was death. Now life and peace. The sinful nature of sinful man without the grace of Christ and the rebirth of the Holy Spirit gives birth to death and war. The more one works for it, the deeper the pit becomes. It is a trap which demands more and more and it gives nothing. It is a slave master who can promise nothing but unhappiness, desolation, despair, misery, wretchedness, sorrow, grief, heartbreak, pain, and agony. But when the Spirit comes, it gives peace. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8 says, For the man who sows in his own flesh from that flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What is the fruit of the Spirit? You know it. You know it. Galatians chapter 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And these things you and I need to work on and develop. And therefore we know that we are given peace with God. We are given peace with God. All those who belong to Christ, Galatians chapter 5.24 says, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desire. And then Romans chapter 8 verse 12. So then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. What difference does it make then? First of all, I'm, I'm just going to summarize this. So I hope you can say it. How are we born? Dead. Why? Because we're sinful. Can we get out of this? No. What happens? God sends Jesus 
Jesus dies for our sins and the penalty of sin. He becomes our righteousness. How do we know that? God gives us his spirit. And the spirit takes what belongs to Christ and he gives it to us. What happens? He gives us a new nature. What happens now? I don't live according to that nature that I was born with, but I I now live to the nature that I've been given. And I live under that control. And now I'm indebted to the one who took me out of death and who made me alive. Does it make sense? Is that the old, old story that you've heard so many times in your life? May God give us the grace to do something about it. Amen. Our Lord and our Father, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to comfort us, to guide us, to lead us, to make known to us the glories of your riches and your compassion of the righteousness in Jesus Christ. To take the old life that we had, to exchange that for something new so that we can now spiritually see the kingdom of God. O Lord, may it be true of everyone here this morning and everyone who listens to this message that they are indeed born of the Spirit. Do a marvelous and a wonderful thing in their life, Lord, and give grace and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.